Hello everyone, uh, welcome to a uh, much delayed edition of Bannering the Blue Shirts. Uh, it's been a bit, uh, things have you know been happening, uh, weather things, Mike had and bubble things which didn't quite end as we would have hoped and other life things, but we're glad to be back. Mike, I'm especially be glad to be talking to you. How are you doing today? I'm hanging in there. Like Tom said, it's been a while, so we're back. Uh, it's been, you know, I feel like we haven't recorded in a month or a little bit more than a month, so apologies to folks for the delay, but life kind of gets in the way. Um, needless to say, Tom, a lot of things have happened in Rangers World since last we spoke. The Rangers are 6-8-3, and three. Uh, not great, and, uh, you know, could be better. I mean, they looked pretty good in their last game against Philly but they lost. But, uh, of course, the big story surrounding the Rangers right now is the fact that Artemi Panarin is not with the team, and he hasn't been on the ice the last couple games. Yeah. I, when I... It's it's weird, because I think a lot of us, when we just sort of talked and um, going into the new year and things we looked forward to, and, you know, hey, it's 2020 is finally gone... 2021 is full of new opportunity and all of that stuff and it just seems that 2020 has been like yeah uh hold my beer and watch this um i i think it's you know obviously it's it's a couple days after the news broke and um in one respect it's kind of okay that we're recording now because there's more information out than there was originally and in a story as um, complicated, and using complicated as a word just because whenever there is any story and there's allegations as, as serious as there were, you don't want to be quick to, to judgment in any respect. You want to, A, hear them at, at face value and say, okay, this is what's being said. After that, you most people i would say you use common sense and say okay here's what i think about this and then see let's see what comes out and we go from there so um obviously the story goes that this was an incident that took you know place you know over a decade ago and it involves a, a younger artemi panarin who was then in the khl um alleged that he was in an altercation with a, a young woman in Latvia, um, and basically these are being said by his, his former KHL coach and someone who has been described by you know many as having um, dubious character and not very trustworthy and very um, pro, pro Vladimir Putin and Kremlin and things of that nature. Um, but as we've seen, like there's a lot of a lot of details that don't just sort of line up. Like I know one of the things that people have pointed out is he said, well, the reason this story didn't come out is because there was like bribery in euros and someone pointed out, well, the currency wasn't a euro then. And it's just, it was kind of like a mess. And um, that's not the, the particulars of what's been said so far. Like you have a lot of people saying like one of them, um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but it's Ivis Kalins, um, on, on Twitter. He's a KHL European hockey reporter. 
um, basically saying, you know, can confirm via Latvian authorities that there hasn't been a report filed on the alleged incident, nor ever there been a court case as opposed to reports that there had been and the police were involved. Um, you know, going on to say, last thing, and after this, I no longer will be commenting or speaking on this. Nazarov also said that half, if not whole hockey nation of Latvia knows about this. Um, he says, I spoke with many people who would have been involved or would have known about this. Not one person said that it's true. Um, and then you obviously have, like, Emily Catlin yeah. of ESPN. She talked to some former teammates of Panarin's. Molly Walker had a story. Um, there's so many different people. I know ESPN's uh, podcast, The Daily, um, had had Emily on and also had, um, you know, Isabel Kushkardian, who is a um, based in Moscow right now. She used to actually cover the, the Washington Capitals for the Washington Post, and now she's, you know, a foreign correspondent based in Moscow, sort of talking about all of the implications of this. So from what was a... Um, really shocking story at the beginning to the point that he's taken a leave of absence we've had a wealth of information come out in just a few days now obviously this is not mere you saying in stone you know he's cleared or you know it's just this is what the story was this is what we've heard so far this is what people you know better than than you or i um who've, who've talked to quote-unquote people in the know this is what they think and obviously by the time we report our next podcast it wouldn't surprise me if more information came out and i'm going to stop talking because i did what i kind of usually do and just ramble and i watch mike hit the mute button and i can only imagine <laughs> like him like petting franklin or you know doodling or or something like man when's this tom guy gonna shut the fuck up well yeah i mean when stories like this happen it's important to remember two things one innocent until proven guilty but two we need to take accusations and allegations of violence and or abuse towards women very seriously and we need to believe women uh, that's just what we need to do in these situations because our society has a problem with that and the problem here tom is one this isn't uh someone who may have experienced violence or abuse coming forward it's coming from a third party and the other thing that's at play here is this curtain uh between what we know and expect from uh how the media and laws work in this country versus what goes on in a country that you know infamously has you know a kind of weird record with media and uh and things like justice uh, going on. So we have to be skeptical, I think, here. But we also need to take things like this, like you said, super seriously. And I think that for the most part, everyone has done that. What's interesting about how things have unfolded here with Panarin is, like, the Rangers wasted no time in coming out in support of Artemi, um, you know, which is noteworthy not only because of prolonged silences and in other instances where you've waited for the team to make comment. But, you know, we, we saw the league step forward. The KHL made a statement that, you know, there no awareness of anything like this. Um, you know, and Molly Walker's kind of follow-up. There was one teammate, former teammate of uh, Panarin's, where, you know, he said something along the lines of, like, 
he maybe may have pushed a girl or something, but it wasn't, there was no bribing of the police. There was no, you know, it wasn't, if anything, it was something that was inflated. So, you know, is there smoke here? Is there fire? I don't know. Like, I, I'm withholding, like, I want to know the truth. And I think it's important we get to the bottom of, of what the hell's going on. But it, this is just a goddamn mess trying to figure out what is actually going on. And, you know, we have Molly Walker talking to a couple guys, you know, like guys who might be familiar to Rangers fans. Names like uh, Kip Brennan, who played for the Islanders for a couple of years, is one of the former players she talked to who was a teammate of uh, Panarin's. And, of course, the other part of this, uh, I forget if you mentioned this or not, Tom, which is the coach in question is a kind of outspoken Putin supporter. And Artemi Panarin... Um, is very much not that and has even taken to social media to speak against Vladimir Putin, which is something we just period, you know, end of sentence, we don't see Russian NHLers do. Um, it's very uncommon to see that happen. And all these things are relevant because um, that's what the story is. This is a guy who we all know what his value is to the team. This is a guy who should have won the Hart Trophy last year. He's the new face of the franchise. This is a massive story. And he's not in the lineup. And that's because of this going on. And he wants to take time away. If he wanted to play right now, if he didn't want to take a leave of absence, I don't think the Rangers would have any problem with him being in the lineup. But I think for the sake of, you know, I don't want to do any assumptions, but it's clear that for the sake of him and his family and mental health and all those things, he's just taking a leave of absence. And... If Artemi's innocent, I hope nothing more than that this is, you know, as painless a process as it can be for him and his family. And I hope this goes away quickly and, you know, he's exonerated if, in fact, he's not at fault here. And if there is something else going on, I hope we get to the bottom of it. No matter what, I hope we get to the goddamn bottom of it. But uh, needless to say, this is going to shape the season, Tom, because this is the indefinite absence of Artemi Panarin, and given all the other things going on with the Rangers... Oh, forgive me. That's my alarm for the podcast. Alexa, stop! You blew it! Um, <laughs> that is, you know, what I was saying is, like, with all the absences in the lineup that we're going to get to next, like, the Rangers are seriously depleted. So, not having your Hart Trophy candidate in the lineup is a pretty big deal. Yes, certainly. It's overall, and the last thing I'll say about it, it's, it's a complex situation. Um, like any time we talk about topics like this, I implore all of our listeners to um, use Google. Um, you know, you can search out the story and you'll get subsequent coverage of, you know, people who have written about this. They've looked at it from different angles. Um, if you guys don't listen uh, or haven't listened yet um, on Blue Shirts, Breakaways, Podcast, The Deal Athletic this week, they had um, Ishan Thoreau of the Washington Post. He's a foreign affairs columnist. He was able to provide some additional commentary um, on some of the, the political aspects of it in, in, in the context, um, you know, in terms of like, you know, Panarin's support of, of Navalny on Instagram sort of being something that is being linked to this situation. I know others have, you know, sort of um, looked at it too, because in the sense of like, we have, like you mentioned earlier that you have this, this certain perception depending on, on where you are, where 
it, it's the way it's portrayed is obviously different and like you I'm no expert on this but anyone and I've seen a people people like look at you know Alexei Navalny and who he is and and you know things of that nature and um so the long story short is we like the Rangers we like the hockey obviously we're in by no means any experts nor do we pretend to be experts so um take everything with a grain of salt but it's good to be informed by reading different perspectives from different outlets and you ultimately will um, feel however you're going to feel but by having that additional context and um, you know trying to avoid that snap judgment when you hear news and say I'm going to feel this way because um, it's just good to have that additional perspective. Yeah, now that we've learned a bunch of things, it remains time to wait and see with this story. So, um, I mean, we've seen a lot of people just say this isn't what happened. And then there's these little details where you have to be like, all right, well, what about this little detail? Or is that just one guy? And, you know, uh, why is this being brought up 10 years later? Like some people are like, why is this being brought up 10 years later? Is it politically motivated? There is a reality where it's politically motivated and something shitty happened those are not mutually exclusive right both of those things could happen that something shitty happened and Panarin did something shitty or maybe he was present when a teammate did something shitty who knows and you know didn't do what we would expect him to do as a human being and who the hell knows uh only a handful of people know what is actually going on and I think the North American hockey media is trying to play catch up and you know people like Slava Malamud and other people like uh I, I won't even try to butcher his name after you butchered his name but uh <laughs> you know seeing the reports coming out of Europe and Russia with people who are really kind of tapped into this stuff it sounds like there's the skepticism is very much warranted here that there's something fishy going on here I still hope we get a clearer picture of what did or didn't happen something a little more irrefutable but I don't know Tom we might never get that um because it's it's Russia and it's you know obviously this the incident reportedly or allegedly occurred in Latvia but you know for the sake of all things this is the Russian media and Russian politics and oh my god it's just a goddamn mess so who knows we'll see we certainly shall see um I guess now is a good point to just it's there's no great way to transition but I think the one thing we can say that is somewhat of a transition is looking at last night's game and we're not like not we're not specifically talking about last night's game but just the wealth of talent and just regular roster players out of the lineup like when I look at the names and the context of why they're out it's like I almost like got this um this sense of like it's what is this is this like lyrics to um you know you know we didn't start the fire and it's like you know like you know Kako Miller covid protocol Truba injury it's like all of these different things and it's like happening simultaneously and not to mention D'Angelo being out of the lineup too like it's yes it's and, like, you know, it was interesting, like, with, uh, I watched Philly's broadcast last night, and they talked about all the guys who were out of the lineup for the for the Flyers, and I was like, yeah, the Rangers have 
Like, our best forward lately has been Colin Blackwell. That's where we are right now. And the third pair is, you know, Potato and Libor Hayek. So, um, things are not great. <laughs> you know, it's it's really crazy to see how this roster has been stretched so thin. And I think it's maybe been a little bit overlooked just because every team has had to deal with so much shit with all the COVID, the COVID list and everything. But obviously we have, you know, heightened concern for Capo Caco being on the COVID list for the second time. Um, and Keandre Miller being on COVID protocol list is also uh, not great. And then on top of that, you have the Jacob Truba injury. It's a hand injury, right, Tom? Or a fingy? Yeah. Yeah, I think it broken finger of some sorts. That One of the fingies is broken. Thing. Yeah. yeah. He's out for over a month. I think the last, I thought I saw six to eight weeks, but I don't remember. But a very long time without Truba, which sucks because, like, I don't know, the underlying numbers on Truba this year were looking not awful. Um, promising, I would say. I mean, just not to say that they were ever really awful, but compared to what we saw last season, it was an encouraging sign from Truba in, in terms of what the underlings were. And, you know, Jack Johnson was out of line for a couple of games, and now we have some more Jack Johnson. And, you know, Anthony Potato scored one unforgettable goal, and now everyone realizes, oh, this is who Anthony Potato is. Um, it's It's been kind of crazy to see how how thin this team is stretched right now. And I know something you wanted to talk about, um, and I'll kick this over to you because it is important. Uh, Filippilo got back on the ice today. He he was in practice rolling with all three lines, or the three lines that we would expect him to be on and it's like we only saw like half a dozen games of filipino before he was knocked out of the lineup but him missing from this lineup has just it's left a giant hole right like it's hard to imagine a guy this young being this important already but this team has not been the same without filipino it's it's feels crazy to make that statement but i feel like it's true right yeah, it's like when you look at this team and part of it was because the Banajet wasn't particularly playing well and Strom was off to a slow start, although in in credit enough to him, he has looked a lot better that you had Heedle who was just playing really amazing hockey and I you were talking about Truba looking better this year um, that's the case too even Kako's underlying numbers like looking across the board you could see elements of improvement so that when you have this ongoing improvement and then them being taken out of the lineup it's a bit um it's a bit frustrating because this is very much a year it's the you know third year of David Quinn and um obviously you look at, you want to see, okay, year one, year two, what it, it was, what it was. And this is a pivotal year because you're looking to turn the page. And, um, you know, obviously there are things that I haven't liked with David Quinn. Um, you know, interestingly enough, um, now that Claude Julien was fired by the Montreal Canadiens, um, all of the sports books have put out, you know, odds on, who are the next, you know, coach to be fired. And Quinn had the third best odds. And, um, you know, not to say that he's going to be fired, but it's interesting to see that that is, is the prevailing thought. But to get back to 
what you're asking in terms of the importance of Heedle, I think that while Kako is out and while Panarin is out, Heedle is a legitimate, in my mind, top six forward, even though I would expect that he's going to be centering the, the third line upon his return. Um, and you probably see him get some power play time because the power play units have been all kinds of fucked up because of everything going on. Um, but yeah, I think I'm trying to pull it up. Um, I hadn't signed into my laptop for a bit, so it didn't remember my, um, on Evolving Wild, it delinked my, my Patreon. But my thought was, and I'll confirm this, but like Heedle had, in terms of the Rangers, like I think he was third or fourth in Gar. Like it's, um, yeah, he was playing out of his out of his mind. I think what did he play five games before he got hurt? So, you know, sample size, you know. Oh yeah. Noted, but um, just just watching him play, you're like, damn, Heedle's really cooking, and it was really noticeable early because Mika just looked so, so out of sorts um, compared to what we saw last year and. I think um, I noted on Twitter, like, the game against the Flyers, he had the two assists on Crowder's two power play goals. It was the first multi-point game of the year for Mika. And, I mean, what more do you have to say other than Mika's Zibanejad season so far? Other than Buchnevich doing the y- yanking the invisible monkey off his back after he scored that empty netter. Like, goddamn, that guy just cannot buy a break right now. And... Really, against the Flyers, he could have had three or four points. Uh, he came away with two, and of course, Crides with the hat trick. But um, in the early goings, like yeah, Heedle was one of one of the best skaters on the team. I mean, now of course, you know the season has moved on, and you know we're for the Rangers, we're seventeen games deep. But in those five games, I mean, it's a third of the games. Heedle was really one of the best forwards. So him getting healthy again, especially in light of everyone who's out of the lineup, is a pretty big deal. So I finally got it pulled up. Um, so as of right now, and obviously games played matter. So Smith through 10 games leads them in Gar 3.7. Blackwell, nine games played, 3.4. Buchnevich, 17 games, 3.2. Heedle, the five games you mentioned, 2.5. Strom, 17 games, also 2.5. Um, and then Ryan Lindgren, 17 games, 2.2. That's all of the um, players who have a GAR above one. Um, and if, you know, the next one on the list would be Condra Miller at 0.8. Um, so, yeah, that's just a snapshot right there of if you're looking at it from the perspective of, okay, two of their most valuable players have been Smith and Blackwell, then you have someone in Heedle who only played five games. That just speaks to some of the production that you've not been getting from other people in the lineup. And again, like, as when I wrote the my story on Blackwell, like, this is one part of the puzzle. You, you're not going to just use these underlying numbers as the be-all, end-all, nor do you want to use box score numbers as a be-all, end-all, goals, assists, points, um... But having Heedle back, and I think, uh, I don't remember who it was, I think it was Vince who had the quote from um, Quinn that said, Heedle is still day-to-day, and he wants to see him in a couple of practices, so I don't think we'll see him tomorrow, Friday, at home versus uh, the Bruins. But again, they play them again on, I think it's Sunday, so 
Maybe he'll be back by then, although who knows if they'll practice Saturday after a game. But um, he was skating in a, in, a, in a regular sweater, no 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 contact jersey, so it's not like he's um, ways off, but it's, it's still going to be great to have him back. And maybe that's something that gives the team an extra spark. I know in the past he had skated a little bit with Kako and Buchnevich, um, and had some, you know, good chemistry more so with Buchnevich last year, and then that allows them to, you know, try some things. But, again, anytime you're getting players back into the lineup, that means one person that's in it is coming out, and you're asking people who are playing above their abilities to, to do a lot. So it, it definitely will be great to have Heedle back. Yeah, it, it's it's big, and, you know, it's, it's crazy to think of, you know, getting this hyped up about Heedle's return. And I know this is our first show in forever. So, you know, for us to linger on anything might be a little weird to our listeners. But, I mean, this has just been crazy um, with what's gone on with the Rangers and everything that's gone on with the lineup and then Panarin. And, you know, it'll be nice to have a little bit of good news with, with Heedle getting back. And, like, looking at what this team has kind of managed to do is it's kind of, you know dragged along here like i don't know if you know we didn't we had a little bit of an idea of what we wanted to talk about but like you know i think it goes without saying that shesterkin's been really strong and uh you know it's Kreider, of course had the hat trick and then before that it was pretty quiet adam fox i don't know like adam fox tom is is 25 minutes a game right now and like on the msg broadcast we've heard sam and joe talk about like yeah, you know, David Quinn wants to get Adam Fox less ice time, and then he plays, like, fucking 27 minutes. Um, we're going to be looking back at that Adam Fox trade for years as one of the better trades this organization has made. Like, what they got for what they gave up is pretty substantial so far. And I can't imagine what this team would be if, if Adam Fox isn't what he is right now. And... Um, Especially because the defense has been stretched so, so thin uh, while we wait for a conclusion of any kind um, on what happens with Tony D'Angelo. But, like, it's it's crazy to think about where this team is now and, like, the clock is kind of ticking. And I know some people are like, oh, David Quinn in the hot seat, like you said, with um, in regards to the Vegas odds. Like, I, I don't know. This year, if Panarin's out for any substantial amount of time, which, of course, we just can't know. Like, this this was probably not a playoff team with Panarin. This is definitely not a playoff team without him. So, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see how the Rangers kind of move forward here and what they look like. You know, hopefully Heedle, like you said, sparks this team, but... It's uh, it's not easy We're playing a bunch of games against the Bruins, and we'll have to see what the hell happens. But it's not easy when you have Kako, Kako out, you have fucking Keandre Miller out, you have all these guys out of the lineup, and then on top of that, you have Mika Zibanejad playing like you know, like a ghost of himself. Um, it puts a lot of pressure, and it's it like you wrote a great story about Colin Blackwell stepping up, and it's awesome that we have those success stories. But the other thing is like. Why haven't we seen Tarmo Reunainen yet? I don't know. It's kind of been yeah. A it's time. yeah. I finally like I have the the D pulled up on um, evolving hockey, and 
when you look at, well, I'll just have it by expected goals, you know, for percentage right now. Smith 59.02, Fox 56.6, Lindgren 53.42. Um, like that's your top three, and they've all played double-digit games, and th that's what you want to see. Adam Fox, Ryan Lindgren as a pair. Smith's been better than he's gotten credit for. Um, yeah, he has, but like the bar is is just so low for Brandon Smith, which sucks, but. That's the reality of his career right now is no one expects much of him. Right. And then obviously, um, Truba is a little bit further down the list, 50.71, Miller 47.3. Um, but like it's it's weird because you have, in the case of Truba, his actual goals for is lower than his expected goals. And it's the inverse for Miller. His goals for are higher than the expected goals. So, um it's sort of like on both ends of the spectrum, like not getting exactly what you think. Um, but like, it's clear where the weak links are. And this is of course, no, no fault to them, but like Anthony Boteto goals for 37.08%. Uh, Corsi 39.84 expected yeah. goals, 43.33. Lieber Hayek below him. You know, 49, but that's what 87. we expected. Like to be fair, that's kind of what we expected from Boteto. That's nothing against Boteto. Like that's what his career has been. Um, and then you know when when he's on the ice with someone like Lieber Hayek, his numbers will get even more dragged down. And I don't, you know, we don't say these things to crap on these guys. The reality is like they're just they're not NHL defensemen right now. Um, and you know, in Boteto's case. You know, he's more of a veteran guy who, you know, in Winnipeg, he was like the seven, eight, nine guy. And so, like, you know, the Rangers just find themselves in a position where they have to play Anthony Boteto. And they're really giving Libar Hayek a chance. And as as you're saying before I cut you off, his Libar Hayek's underlying numbers are are even worse than Boteto's. And in that game against the Flyers, like, Libar Hayek made a couple just really bad plays, like... A lot of, like, why are you out of position and it leads to a goal kind of plays. So, I don't know what the organization is trying to evaluate there with, with Libor, but this might just be a case of, you know, what can they do? I don't. I haven't looked at what the cap issues might be with bringing up Rayonainen. I don't know if there's some obstacle there. I, I think someone mentioned that on Twitter, but I, I didn't look into it yet. But, like, I... I think it's time to maybe not have this <laughs> if we can avoid it. And, you know, if there's a smaller move that can be made that doesn't involve moving D'Angelo, then the Rangers should maybe look into doing that because there's some bleeding here and it would be nice if it was stopped. Right. And my thought is, and I can understand if their, their thought with Reinen is that, they just want to play him in the AHL a little bit more. And I could understand that logic, him coming over to North America. Um, but, like, it's not even so much where I could see it's they're going to learn much because there's literally three teams, including the Wolfpack, in their division. So it's just literally a, you know, we're going to play Bridgeport, and then we're not going to play Bridgeport. I think it's what it's Providence. Bridgeport and Providence are the two teams they're rotating against. Um but yeah, like we've seen enough of Lieber Hayek, and um, unfortunately, it was a situation where the Rangers thought they were getting something different in a trade, and same can be said of, of Brett Howden, although 
that's a story for another day that I, I want to look into because I it's it's something worth talking about though because like not to dive into it Tom but like isn't this the oppor- like the moment when you would hope a Brett Howden steps up it's now or well yeah it's like now or never because you had yeah. uh you had Zbanejad playing like shit you had Strom playing like shit you had no Heedle in the lineup and if there were ever a time for Howden to like get Seize attention moment, yeah but he just hasn't, and I think it's because he's incapable of doing so. And this is not to rag on Brett Howden, um, a guy that probably shouldn't have been in the league as early as he was. He's like the one rare prospect that the Rangers have gotten that were like, you know what, we do not need him to have any AHL time whatsoever. He's yeah. just going to go into the yeah. the NHL and do his thing, no problem. Um, the exception of the rule. He's the guy who gets... Right unlimited leash and stays in the lineup and gets gets in the lineup from day one and just sticks around sticks around sticks around sticks around yeah yeah and i i think in the case of hayek and him i think you know we you can think back to shows we've done in prior years and or stories we've written about and you have comments that like well why are you caring so much about a fourth line forward and extra forward you know, an extra defenseman, whatever. Well, because of moments like this where you have a bunch of injuries or you have a bunch of injuries and your top players aren't stepping up, that means that you're looking to other people on your roster. So it behooves you to have people that can step up, that can take initiative and, yeah, behooves, like, uh, and help it's stop the bleeding to to an thank you. I was looking for a way to to, to use it, um, but it, it's again, like in a grand scheme of things, Kevin Kevin Rooney has stepped up in you know a small way, um, you know being good in the bottom six. Like it's these little things that ultimately where this team wants to go, you're going to 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 be able to do that. Like. Look at the success of the team that went to the cup final, 13-14. You had your Dominic Moores. You had your Benoit Pouliots. You had your bottom six Derek Broussards, like Derek Dorsett. You had all of these guys that were able to pull their weight and do things that were nudging the needle in a positive. Um, you know, it wasn't a bunch of guys hitting home runs. It was just keeping the line moving, single after single after single, um, and pushing the team in the right direction where right now – um, you have guys that are, are, are just not doing that. And like we were talking about this a little bit in the Slack today. Um, my philosophy is, and I may be wrong, and I'm going to investigate this a little more. I want to flush it out to see if I'm, you know, not thinking of this clearly. But I think of this Rangers team right now, and you can just say, you know what? It's a pretty fucked up year. You know, injuries, COVID. Um, weird divisions. Yeah, we're having some positive results, but by and large, we don't project to be a playoff team. And um, we're looking to, in this rebuild, turn the corner in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. And I think that going is, granted, if the season, next season starts on time and you have, you know, a proper vaccine rollout, yeah, you might have 
um, full fans in the stands. Oh, yeah, that's another thing we didn't mention. Uh, we're going to have fans back in MSG um, starting, you know, tomorrow for, for the Rangers. Um, you're going to have a lot of teams in the league that they may be looking to, you know, cut salary. They may not be as active, and we've seen that this year with waiver situations where otherwise talented players who, you know, not some making a ton of money in it, it obviously they don't, they, they don't get claimed, um, but have a use that they just go unclaimed. So my perspective is you look at this team and you say, okay, we're not really going to go anywhere. What can we sell off of value now? Because you might have a team that in a regular year, they're in a really tough division and they might be the third team. They might be the wild card, and that puts them at a disadvantage come first round of the playoffs. But this year, the divisions are are kind of wacky, and it's like they might have an opportunity that they're not going to have to face a strong team in the first round. And you might have some strong teams that get knocked out, and your opportunity to go win a Stanley Cup is a lot different. Because like, I think of like the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? They're not going to be in a situation where they're going to be playing the Boston Bruins in the first round. That has been their obstacle that they've not been able to overcome. Um, you know, you obviously have a division where you have like Tampa Bay and, and Florida and Chicago and Nashville. Um, that's a little bit different. So my line of thinking, and I know I'm drawing this out, um, you sell what you can. Even if you have to do it at a little bit of a discount, but then that sort of puts you ahead of the game when it comes to uh, the off season and free agency and the trade market that we don't end up in the position where we were last year where, yeah, there just weren't any takers for Strom or there weren't takers for D'Angelo or there weren't takers for this, where every trade deadline, if a team thinks that they can win a Stanley Cup they're going to give you something of, of value. And you might say that's giving up on the season, but I see it as, okay, it's creating more ice time for Lafreniere. It's creating opportunities for some of the guys in Hartford, whether it's Morgan Barron or Roininen, um, Kodorenko, you name it. And that would be beneficial to the team, especially as they're evaluating, okay, what do we need to ultimately become a contender? Yeah, the the question I have is like, what is here that isn't stapled down that can really be, be moved other than like Stromer and, you know, D'Angelo? Um, I mean, we could see, you know, a Gorgiev trade, like that could happen. But um, I'm more curious really about what happens with the coaching situation now, because I've kind of reached a point where, you know, I, I'm not a goddamn, you know, president of a hockey team, nor am I qualified to be one, not a GM, none of those things. I, and I'm also typically not someone who's like running a coach out of town, but I, I, I feel like I've seen all of David Quinn's best ideas so far to some extent. Um, you know, that might be unfair of me. And I know there are some people who are like, ah, oh, that's not enough, Mike. You should be more critical, but like, uh, you know, this is a guy who's all about developing, supposed to be all about developing young players. And we've seen the rules not apply to everyone. And then, you know, he says things like, oh, the veteran status for guys like Kreider and Mika is lifted. They have to do what everyone else has to do. 
and you know not treating everyone on a level playing field and all those things it just uh i'm a little fed up with david quinn sometimes tom is what i'm trying well, to get yeah. to well yeah and like my contention with quinn is this it's been kind of i don't i don't know if alarming is the word i want to use but it's been interesting how many times recently you hear heard him quoted and it when it comes to ice time and like, oh, you know, didn't get as much ice time for this player as I would have wanted. Or, yeah, we're not getting the effort we want. Or we're not having the focus. Like, it's all things that a head coach is kind of responsible for. And, like, things that they can control. Um, and obviously, it goes without saying... Yeah, you have all of the the injuries and whatnot. You have people playing out of position. But this is going back before all that. And the analogy that I used in the Slack was that the Rangers set out on a rebuild and they wanted to do things in a particular way. But when the best free agent came on the market, a player who is you know legitimately, I'd say, a top five player in the game, if you don't want to say top five, at the very least, top 10. They didn't let the fact that they were in a rebuild stop them from going out and getting them and, you know, change changing the, the timeline, so to speak. Given all of the coaches that are out there, and I'm not saying that I'm particularly set on anyone at all, if you, if you have an opportunity to make an upgrade at the coaching position, like, it's something that, at the very least, you should consider. Um... And again, like, this is not fire David Quinn. This is not, you know, we're pushing him out the door. This is not being impatient. Anything like that. I just think that next year will be the fourth year on his contract. I believe it was a five-year deal that he signed. Um, And if they're not at the point that they thought they were going to be, then, like, it's a legitimate question. And like I said a lot earlier, um, you know, there's a reason why... You know, odds makers made him the third most likely to be the next coach fired. And, like, I've seen other writers um, outside of New York, like, question, like, hey, you know, you know, Quinn was brought in to be this young development coach, and, you know, we're not quite seeing it, um, what we would have thought. Now, granted, like, Kako's been better this year than he was last year. Um, you know, Lafreniere's underlinings have been good. But still, it's, you know, not exactly everything that you maybe would have wanted to see, which is fine. But it's it's not something where you say, oh, Quinn is definitely the coach 100%. Like, I think it's fair to question it and fair to say, are there things that we can be doing a little bit better? Um, and if you do make the change now, you do have the rest of this season to work out whatever kinks there are of a new coaching style and tendencies in that so that you're going into next season like okay our most important players and the people that we're building around are on the same page it's now on anyone who we acquire or are going to promote from within um to take the reins and you know like i've said before i think chris knobloch is a guy that they should consider obviously their head coach in hartford um he was seen as sort of a rising star in hockey he's been you know, uh, coaching, um, you know, 
very long time. Like, and he's he's a young guy. He was Connor McDavid's coach and junior. He was with the the Flyers as an NHL assistant. Um, so, like, if they went that route, I I'd be fine with it. But I I do sort of like don't understand the thought. Like, when I see people like, oh, like Quinch is getting a pass because of everything that's going on, where like the the things the reason why people have the conversation is because some of the things that he himself has said or he himself has done that he can control independent of the talent that he has or doesn't have. Yeah, and you know, it's this is year three. Um, and you know, when a coach is as as talented and as successful as like Claude Julien becomes available, I think if you're the Rangers, you have to ask yourself if you'd be better off with that coach, or if you'd you'd be better off giving Knobloch an opportunity. Um, I think it's it's irresponsible not to consider those things. Um, you know, regardless of what may be going on with um, you know, regardless of what may be going on with the team itself like you know details like Panarin or injuries or or this crazy COVID season like none of those things should exempt or exclude you from from considering things when you know oh you know does should David Quinn get a pass because all these things are going on I don't know does any other coach get a pass did you know did Claude Julien get a pass because Carey Price could make a save and he has a sub 900 save percentage Tom like it's a really rough business being a hockey coach uh, at this, you know, in the NHL at this level. Like, um, I, uh, I'll be really curious to see what the discourse turns into if, if this, the Ranger struggles kind of continue, because right now it's, you know, things are, you know, stop me if you've heard this before. The Rangers have pretty good goaltending. Um, they have some underperforming stars. And they're really hoping that a lot of kids can step up and and carry the team. You know, it's I, I've heard that story before. Like, are the Rangers as much as a disaster as Buffalo is? Eh, maybe not, but, you know, they have four wins in their last ten games. And, you know, it's... They're only going to be a worse team you know generally speaking than they have been because of the guys who are out of the lineup so it's tough and and I say all this knowing that they played really well against Philly um you know by all by all accounts the Rangers kind of deserve to win that game other than the fact that they absolutely shot themselves in the foot and they couldn't stay out of the penalty box and the penalty kill which has been such a success story um I think that was like the first time in forever they allowed two power play goals against and you know some of the some of the penalties, you know, you look at a guy like Julian Gauthier taking like a high staking penalty and you're just like, Oh my God, kid, please. We're all pulling for you. Don't, don't fucking high stick anyone. Don't make mistakes. Cause you know that he's going to get no ice time and we're just going to see the same, you know, the same things repeat over and over and over again. But at least we have Colin Blackwell, Tom, at least we have Colin Blackwell and Adam Fox and Igor Sturkin. That we do. Um, I think now is a really good time to uh, take an ad break. And then after that, we'll be right back to, to wrap up the show. Um, and uh, yeah, after that, we'll, uh, we'll be right back. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Just like that, we're back from the ad break. Um, I want to end the show, Mike. We can do this a little, you know, quickly because I I know it's obviously a fluid situation and it's things a lot of people have talked about. Um, obviously, you mentioned Buffalo, and it got my mind going. It's something I wanted to put in the the notes of things to talk about. It seems that we have once again, you know, obviously people talk a lot about David Quinn, but I feel like there's been equal amount of talk. About Jack Eichel and the whole Jack you know, Eichel. We're going here, Tom. We're going to Jack Eichel country. Yeah, I think we'll go to Jack Eichel country. We can just talk a little bit because um, we did talk about this on a previous podcast, um, you know, with Melissa Burgess and you know how it was, you know, unlikely anything to happen this season. But as bad as things have been for the Rangers with injuries and and things like, I feel bad for Buffalo too because it's just like. They've had injury after injury, and then they have, like, Jeff Skinner as a healthy scratch going on three games, and it's just like, I don't know, It's maybe it's like a New York State thing. Um, although, I mean, I don't think the Islanders have really had much going on in, in a negative way. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll ask it in, in this way, Mike. Um, do you think Jack Eichel is something that is going to happen for the Rangers? Or do you think that this is just like another situation of, ooh, there's a really good player that's going to probably become available and the Rangers just happen to be involved with everyone? Um, Or is it, it more or less just like a situation of, hey, it might actually work out because they do need help with centers and all of that fun stuff. Well, I think it's, you know, a lot of things fit that make this super tantalizing for, for Rangers fans. I think we, we talked about similar, like a similar story with like Panarin and free agency when it was like, is he going to land here? Is he not? And, you know, we have in the past, there have been, you know, like the Rick Nash trade and, and, you know, before that, like the Marion Gabrick trade. And like when the Rangers, it seems like when the Rangers really, 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 want to get involved and there's a big name out there the rangers are going to be involved and it's not often where like everything lines up like boy the rangers could use a jack eichel and hey we have his former college coach and boy we have a lot of young guys that would be tantalizing for buffalo to get back in a trade like a nils lundquist or what have you and you know all these things it's like eh, 
I don't see why not. But, like, do I think there's something here? I mean, yeah, I think there is, but only because, like, from what we've heard reported, the Rangers are one of the teams asking about it. And, like I said before, with whether or not the Rangers should be looking at other options for the head coach position, like, you have to ask if you can get Jack Eichel. Just like, you know, you have to ask Edmonton every once in a while, hey, Connor McDavid, what do you think? Do, do the Rangers even have room to make that work? That doesn't matter. You still ask. But like Jack Eichel is, you know, one of the best players in the league. And the Rangers, you know, could set themselves up to have the reality of adding another franchise forward. And, you know, they're in a unique position with some of their cap where, you know, they have contracts coming coming off the books and everything where they could maybe make things work. I mean, that's complicated by... You know, a lot of people think D'Angelo's situation might be headed to a buyout, but because of his age, um, it won't be as punitive to the Rangers, but still it's another buyout on the books for an extended period. And like all those things in mind, Tom, I think there's there's smoke here and there's probably a little bit of fire here. The question, this all comes down to what Jack Eichel wants to do. And he's really goddamn frustrated with, with what's happened to Buffalo, understandably so, especially because this year, like, I, I thought Buffalo really did a good job in the offseason, Tom. I really did. I thought they did a great job. And I look at what's happened in Buffalo now, and it's so frustrating to see what's happened there. You know, like, like someone who has, like, zero investment in Buffalo, other than, like, having to write for them when freelance hockey writing was a thing before the pandemic. Now I, I just haven't had the opportunity to write about anyone but the Rangers and women's hockey, like... You just look at it and you're just like, God damn, that sucks because those fans deserve better and that city deserves better and Jack Eichel deserves better. And this just sucks, right? But the Rangers are in a fun position where they really need a guy like a Jack Eichel because of the position he plays and what he represents and how good he is. And they have a lot of pieces they could send towards Buffalo to make it tempting. Like, I don't even know... Like, what other teams could really put together an offer that would be super tempting? Here's a hot take, and I... I, I like, hot take time. Like, I've seen a lot of the discourse about this, and, like, I've started to look into it, but I feel that people are vastly overestimating what it's going to cost to get Jack Eichel and what the Buffalo Sabres can ask for for Jack Eichel for a number of reasons. I think the biggest thing in the way of any Jack Eichel trade is cost in the sense of how much money he's making. Um, in a, a lot of the trades that we've seen in the past, like bona fide blockbuster deals, you've had a couple of situations. You've had players not making $10 million a year for, for starters. Um, you've had players who had less than, you know, let's see, he's got one, two, three, four, five years left on his deal after this one. So that's also another um, potential barrier. He's got a $7.5 million signing bonus before the 2020-23 season, or 22-23 season, excuse me. Um, so like right there, the financials of it are going to cut off a pretty big swath of teams in the league. Um, so that's number one. Number two, Jack Eichel. 
Um, as of right now, he's got 351 points in 370 games. Like, that is pretty darn good. But it's not a point per game. Um, and, like, the last player of, like, extreme magnitude that I think of, you know, being being traded, not for just a, um, for, like, a deadline-type thing, but they wanted to make it work long-term, was Ilya Kovalchuk. And he was traded from Atlanta to the Devils, and they ultimately signed him to, you know, an ex- a record contract that was then voided by the league, and then he, you know, sort of signed a- another one, and then he got bought out. But at that time, like, you know, he had played over uh, like close to 700 games and was well over a point-per-game player. Then you look at the Rick Nash trade. Um, like, this is a guy that had multiple 30-goal seasons. Um, you know, he had a couple 40-goal seasons. Like, where you look at Jack Eichel, right, he scored 36 goals once. Um, yeah, like, you know, he also has, you know, a 54-assist season you know, 82 points uh, in the 18-19 year. But, like, by and large, what you're getting in Jack Eichel is not only, like, a really good player, but, like, you're trying to project out how good he is going to be. Um, And I I think any team acquiring him, obviously, like, in the case of the Rangers, they have the pieces to put around him that you're going to get a lot of good value. Um, But still, C.1. All of the money that's going to be involved is somehow going to dilute the return that they can can ask for. So, and then not option three. Um, he's going to have a no move clause that's going to kick in eventually. That you know goes at the same time that he has that last seven and a half million dollar signing bonus. So he could say, oh. I only want to go to X team, or I only want to go to one of two teams. And then it's it's going to be a situation of, um, you know, say it's the Rangers and the Bruins. I'm just throwing those two teams out there for, you know, just at random. Like, then it becomes a situation of it's trying to get the best deal that you can because it's not like a situation where, oh, an L.A. can offer a really big package of prospects that would really entice Buffalo. It's like, no, it's it's either this team or this team, and you're going to take the best offer that you can get. Um, but I I just feel like I people seeing like, like, oh, it could cost one of Lafreniere or, or Kako. Like, Lafreniere is not going anywhere. Like, it'd be really stupid for the Rangers to finally get a number one overall pick, draft him, and then trade him. So, like, I whenever I see Lafreniere's name brought up, like, that's just unrealistic. Um, like, I think kind of the same way with Kako. Like, why would they even entertain doing that? Um, like, personally speaking, and I could be wrong here, but I really think this is more more or less, it's like a Vitaly Kratsov, a Zach Jones, uh, potentially Nils Lundqvist, although I think they want to have that insurance. Um, because you don't know what's going to happen with Truba long-term. And then you're going to have a roster player or two, and then it's just going to be a bunch of picks. Like, it's not going to be this, like, massive, massive, massive return. Now, I may be wrong here, but I just think, like, you look at... I think it's going to be big. It's Jack Eichel. But, like, okay, but how can they demand a lot if 
they have a limited number of potential suitors that can a absorb his cap hit um can pay his signing bonus um like i think that limits things and if he wants out like you're de- you're already dealing from a position of like they're trading him because he wants to leave like it's not like a situation of things are all hunky dory and he's going to be a free agent in 2 years so like they're trying to to you know move him before it's too late like i just think the environment doesn't lend themselves to getting as big a package as people seem to be talking about and again i admit i may be wrong here but like i just feel like people don't look at how trades in the nhl work um like Look at Taylor Hall. Like, that was one for one. And he ended up winning, like, a heart trophy. Look at Panarin, right? He got traded uh, for Saad. Um, so, like, you have talented players that got jack shit. No, I know. I just think... I mean, it's crazy, Tom. It's absolutely crazy. I Like, a lot of those guys got traded... Like, uh, the Taylor Hall trade was fascinating for a lot of reasons, but, like... The Panarin trade was like, everyone knew it was like, oh yeah, that's kind of a crazy trade. But even before, like, that trade happened, it was pretty clear that, you know, Panarin wasn't quite the player he's established himself as now. There's still some question of whether or not he was being buoyed by playing with, you know, with Patrick Kane, etc. in Chicago. Like, how much of this production is, is Panarin, how much is Patrick Kane, etc. But then looking at, like, what's out there, like, this is, I get can't imagine the return being pretty modest for for Eichel. I think it'll be I don't think don't get me wrong, I don't think it's like six assets for one with like a first and the rent and like Nils Lundqvist and like you know a bunch of other guys. Like this isn't like trades back in the day where you know it's like you, you traded like seven guys to try to equal the value of one guy <laughs> when general managers are like, "All right, hold on. Can you throw in this guy just in case?" Uh, just in case. But, like, looking at Buffalo, you know, they have Jack Eichel and Jeff Skinner signed until the end of eternity. And then no one else is really signed until the end of eternity. So the the adding young players who can develop in as opposed to waiting on, on, you know, picks and seeing what they become might be pretty tempting to them. Like, you know, it might mean a lot to them to add a guy like a Nils Lundqvist. And then, like you, I think, obviously, a roster player will go back and there's a couple of guys who make a lot very attractive for the Rangers to potentially send back, but also you have to wonder about the guys the Rangers have to send back to make things work from the cap perspective. But you know, as much as this might be of like the Sabres can't be choosers if they're kind of beggars here, but there's nothing that says they have to get rid of Jack Eichel. You know, this is just a question of he has this no trade clause window that's going to close, but he's under contract until 2026. Oh, yeah. And, like, this is not me saying that a team is going to steal Jack Eichel. Um, I just think that we are probably pricing it a lot higher than it's actually going to be. And not that, like, obviously he's, you know, starting the prime of his career. Um, He's, like, yeah, he's only 24 years old. So, like, you're going to be getting the best years out of him. But, like, when I see, oh, it's, like, going to be a Lafreniere or Kako and then Nils Lundqvist and a roster player and a first-round pick and then, like, another B prospect, I just, like, um, I can't really find any trade that 
has happened like that. And again, it's you know players like Jack Eichel um, don't generally become available, but um, I guess we'll certainly see. I, I just I've seen a lot of people talking about it, and I, I know people have been talking about the cap space that they're going to eventually have, and all all of that fun stuff. Um, but uh, I thought it'd be a nice thing to sort of end on. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say before I read the list of our patrons? Um, no, I feel like we covered pretty much everything. There's, I mean, there's so much to cover just because it's been a while. But, um, yeah, the it's been it's been a really crazy stretch for the Rangers with all the, everyone out of the lineup. I'm, I'm. If you're someone who's really thinking about going to the Garden for one of these games, please be safe. Have fun. Uh, underline the safe part. Please be super safe and. Uh, obviously, you know, since the last time we talked with everyone, hope everyone is healthy and everyone in your lives is as healthy and as safe as they can be, given that we're still in this kind of grim reality that we're all stuck in. But remember to be kind to each other, be good to each other. Go ahead, Tom. Read the patrons. So, yeah, it's been a while, um, and I'm going to read the list of patrons um, as they were, as would have been our... Um, last show in January. I understand that this list has changed and people have altered their pledges or um, dropped it com completely for whatever reason or another. Um, some people have filled out notes in the exit survey. Um, know that, um, you know, I read the exit surveys and, you know, I understand your decisions, you know, no matter what. Um, you know, nothing is obviously held against you. Obviously, your your situations vary. How you feel about certain things, um, we totally understand, and I share that you know information with Mike. Um, you know, we we appreciate everyone who listens to the show. We appreciate everyone who supports the site. Um, you know, we understand. Obviously, opinions can change, and and how you feel about certain things, and just know that. Um, it is acknowledged uh, internally. We we do share the information. We do talk about it. You know, we may not like address it publicly or, or whatever. But know that when you you are saying something, you know, to us, whether you're messaging us on Patreon, you're filling out those surveys. That um, it is read. It is understood. Um, so I just wanted to get that out of the way. But um, we are thankful for those who, you know, have supported us, um, a six-foot gap, um, Nahoic, Aiden Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andres Chicagov, Andy White, Anthony Viola, Beezer, Ben Pierney, Bjarner Osterheim, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Captain America, Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Daniel Jazen, Frank Menino, George Littman, Jamie Bussell, Jason Silverman, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Pretzapelski, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Wallace, Keith Franchillo, Kevin Mead, Kush Tastic, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matt Pumple, Matthias Olson, Michael Kennick, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Offman, Panarin2020, Patrick Landl, Pranel Powerhouse, Sammy Vogel Scheinberg, Sean, Steve Bielbach, Stink Flaman, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, Trevor Kepner. Um, you know, thank you for, for your support. Like I, I had said at the beginning, I know that this list um, has changed, but. You did some of the people on this list had supported the podcast as of as of January, and obviously we had shows delayed. So I wanted to just you know publicly recognize you know everyone of the list that was there last time. Um, you know certainly we do appreciate all of the support. 
um, as we try and get back into the swing of things, um, we certainly are going to try and have mailbags, um, you know, questions you might have, you know, um, you know, it was kind of hard when we were doing bannering points, like we weren't getting a ton of questions or the questions we were getting were stuff that we, um, addressed on the show, um, but as always, we do appreciate the feedback. We do appreciate your messages. We do appreciate your support. Um, Mike, I really appreciate you as always. Um, I appreciate you show. too, Tom. And uh, like Mike said, we hope you're all well. And if you are going to the garden for a game, uh, stay safe. Um, be well, you and your family and everything going on. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye, folks. Bye.